Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. All right, we are live once again. There we go with uh, Lloyd Melnick. And what are we talking about today? Understanding LTV, the most important KPI in gaming. So, yeah, so w- welcome, Lloyd. I'm going to do a quick intro, and then I'm going to get out of your way. But Lloyd is is quite most likely my oldest friend in the industry, who I learned everything from. He he drug a English literature student out of college, and I'm here, still here, 23 years later. Uh, Lloyd's going to talk about data and LTV and all the wonderful things you need to know about it. Uh, and yeah, with that, man, it's off to you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Jay. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, glad everyone who's been able to make it uh, is here today. Uh, really looking forward to this presentation. Hopefully, you'll get a lot out of it. Uh, yeah, as Dan mentioned, we're talking about lifetime value, uh, which probably just referred to for the rest of the day as LTV. Uh, the presentation is on understanding LTV and why it's the most important KPI in gaming. So I've split the presentation into three segments today. First, why, why listen to it? Why is this important to you? Uh, then, hopefully, if I've convinced you of that and you haven't churned by uh, that time, uh, how do you actually determine lifetime value? How do you calculate it? How do you look at it? And then what's probably the most important uh, segment of the, of the day and why I'm putting it at the end so that I don't lose too many viewers is how do you actually improve your lifetime value? How do you, how do you, if it's the most important KPI, how do you make it stronger? So let's first start with the why. Why are you here today? Why are you giving me an hour of your very precious day in life? Quite frankly, it's because lifetime value, LTV, is at the heart of survival of your game and potentially of your company. What lifetime value is, is the present value of a customer. So how much that new player or existing player or group of players, which we'll refer to as a cohort of players, is worth to you in the future. So if you're a restaurant and someone comes in five times, spends $10 each time, their lifetime value to that restaurant is $50. It's the same with gaming. How much is that person going to be worth looking forward uh, for the amount? uh, And you can set the time period, six months, one year, whatever. How much are they going to be worth to you? So why is that the key to survival? Uh, Because when you look at lifetime value and when you're evaluating your product and evaluating and growing your game, you're deciding whether or not to advertise. And the inverse of lifetime value is your cost to acquire a new player. And that's referred to as your cost per install in the mobile world, CPI. Quite frankly, at its core, if your lifetime value 
is less than your CPI, you can't advertise. To use an example, let's say it costs you $1 to acquire a player. That means you have a $1 CPI. Your lifetime value, that player is going to be worth 95 cents to you uh, over their lifetime to you. Yeah, it, it's not very ba uh, difficult math to calculate that you don't want to spend a dollar to get 95 cents. If you wanted to do that, you could spend all your time in Las Vegas. It's not a good business decision. It's not a way you can justify actually acquiring players. And in the game industry, especially the game industry now, you have to advertise to acquire players. Organics are going to be a very small part. Organics is what you refer to as the players that you are able to acquire, not through advertising, who just find your product. But that's going to be a really small part of it. So you have to advertise to acquire players. Even if you're in a step, if you've been able to maybe get a jump start, get a decent amount of players, you're going to lose players over time. Uh, you know, at a minimum, people are going to pass away, they're going to stop gaming, whatever. Uh, but even the best of games, the Clash of Clans or yeah, whatever, uh, they, they lose players over time. So you constantly have to be able to advertise to bring in new players. If your lifetime value, again, is cost is, is higher, is lower than the cost of acquiring that new player, you can't advertise. So your game is doomed. If you're a one product uh, company, which most uh, successful, a lot of gaming companies are these days, if your game can't grow, if your game can't advertise, your company can't succeed. And that's why lifetime value at its core determines whether or not your business survives. That's why it is such an important KPI to understand, to measure, and then to work on and try to improve. It's also critical when you're actually not only have your game in the market, uh, but you're at the early stages. I think all of us realize that there's millions of good ideas for games. Uh, thinking about what you want to create with a new product is the easy part. Uh, you know, I, I, I arguably see five or 10 game concepts a week, and they're all interesting. Uh, what's important is your green light process, how you're going to decide which games to actually spend your uh, limited resources on building. That's where lifetime value comes in because each game has a different potential lifetime value. So what you want to do is you want to look at these opportunities before you actually put resources into a game, before you start developing it, uh, before you hire some artists, even before you do market research and understand what, how the lifetime value for that game is going to differ from the other five or 10 opportunities you're looking at. And then on the counter side, look at, you know, is advertising cost different? And what you want to do is you want to put your resources behind the products where that differential is the greatest, where your lifetime value is that is a, it has a biggest gap with your cost per install, because that's where you have the most profit potential. Then once you launch the game, you want to deconstruct it and you're not going to know immediately if it's a success, but by understanding lifetime value, you're going to be able to see if you're trending in the right way that this product requires additional investment or if, to be blunt, you should cut your losses and move on to another product. Again, lifetime value is at the core of whether or not you, what products you decide to build and whether or not you continue to invest in, in the product that you've launched or you move on. And then finally, once you've launched your game, even if, it, if it's successful, you want to have the biggest bang for your buck on additional uh, investment into the game. With a social game, with a mobile game, creating the game is the easy part. The big revenue and the big expense is your ongoing, what's referred to as live services, uh, your ongoing maintenance, your ongoing new content. Uh, and by understanding lifetime value, you know where to focus that. 
uh, what areas of the game will have your biggest impact on lifetime value and then bring you uh, your highest profitability. So hopefully now you, you know, agree with me that lifetime value, it's core to the survival of your game, potentially core to the survival of your company. But why the heck listen to me about it? Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who know about lifetime value. What are you going to get out of spending the next 45 minutes with uh, me? So I think what I bring to the table in that's somewhat unique and a perspective that hopefully will help you is, you know, I've been in the game industry since 1993. As Jay mentioned, uh, he and I worked together uh, when he was you know, first starting his career. Uh, and I've been, um, I've had the fortune of working for both uh, really small startups, two people companies, uh, and then some of the biggest companies in the world like Zynga, Disney, Poker Stars, uh, you know, where I've done everything from launch games on a very, 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 very tight shoestring uh, to being a general manager on games that have generated over $2 million a day in revenue. So I've been able to see how changes in lifetime value can impact uh, products at all different scale and different stages of companies. Also, many of you are probably in the game industry just because your passion is gaming and you want to create fun games. Many of you are also in the industry because you want to sell your company or you want to make a lot of money. I've been lucky enough to be on the leadership team in three exits worth over $800 million uh, in the past few years. And most of those exits have been driven by the core underlying lifetime value of our game or games. Uh, so again, understanding lifetime value doing it right, setting it up right, can generate a lot of revenue for you as a game, uh, as an owner or an indie game publisher. Uh, so it's really important to understand that whether or not you just want to survive or whether or not you want to sell your company for hundreds of millions of dollars. And then I'll end it with, I've literally written the book on LTV, uh, the only book that I know of in the game industry, and actually one of the very few on Amazon that's focused on the market. So at a minimum, by spending the next 45 minutes in the presentation, you save the $10 you would have to buy, uh, pay for the book on Amazon, uh, because I'm not gonna, there's nothing in the book that we're not gonna cover in the next few minutes. So hopefully that's giving you reason to understand why it's worthwhile to gain a deeper understanding of lifetime value. So as I mentioned, what is lifetime value? It's how much your customer is worth to you, well, again, over their lifetime, but I'll put lifetime in quotes because for different companies, it means different things. You know, some companies, the lifetime of a player is only three months and they look at it that way and they base all their financial decisions. Others, it's five years. You can determine what the time horizon is. Uh, actually, what we're going to talk about is there's no one lifetime value function or formula. It's going to be different for every product in every game. And part of it is when you're determining it, you're, you're determining what, you, uh, how you define lifetime. Uh, and at its core, and this is where we're really going to spend the bulk of our time, lifetime value is determined by three buckets. One is retention and engagement, uh, which I'll use relatively interchangeably. It means how long a person is going to stay in, uh, stay with your product. When are they? You know, how how many days, months, years are they going to play it, and how often they're going to play it each day or each month. Uh, the second one is monetization. When they do spend money how much money they're gonna spend. And finally, and this one will go into a little bit more uh, subtleties there, uh, is not used by all companies, but it's virality. How many new users one existing user will, will bring in. But yeah, it, 
at its basic part, if you deconstruct lifetime value, it's a combination of retention, monetization, and virality KPIs. So as I said, what drives it is virality. Virality, the one that's uh, probably the least discussed, uh, is you know, for every user you bring in, how many new users do they bring in? Very big determinant of lifetime value because you're paying to acquire one user. If they bring in 10 users, effectively buy one, get 10 free. Retention, as I mentioned in that restaurant example, is critical uh, for making sure that your players uh, keep coming back. And that's what, what we'll talk discuss in a second, really drives your lifetime value and monetization. If they don't spend money in your product, there's your lifetime value is zero. Uh, so you can't, you know, so lifetime value is a function. If you don't, retention and monetization are intermixed. So you have to be healthy in both of those. Virality is something that you can say goes on top, uh, but it could be to the degree that it goes on top, but is your key driver of LTV. And one of the cores before we actually get into what makes up LTV is LTV is not a function, it's not a formula where you plug in numbers and you get an absolute value. Because what you're doing is you're creating a prediction in the future. Think of LTV, lifetime value, as the weather. If you're trying to figure out what the temperature in New York is gonna be in a week, you might be the best weather forecaster in the world, but you're not gonna be able to make a perfect prediction every time of the weather in New York City in 10 days. Uh, because it's a prediction. It's not a value just uh, driven by uh, previous uh, previous results. Uh, so what you're doing is you're creating a range, a forecast, effectively a best guess. And rather than a point value, what lifetime value is, is a guess, but it's a range. So you, you can be comfortable that it's gonna be you know, plus or minus, you know, and it's going to be different for every product, say five or 10% from that prediction. And why you can't get a perfect prediction, not only in lifetime value, but in weather or anything, it's the uncertainty principle. You would have thought Stephen Hawking was a game developer. Um, but you know, as he pointed out, uh, perfect predictions are impossible in the universe because there is uncertainty. There's too many variables that we can't take into account that determine uh, what's going to happen in the future. So instead, you have a range of likely outcomes, and your lifetime value prediction is the most likely. Anyone being in the game industry a while knows that chaos and game industry are almost synonymous. Uh, so I love this bullet point. Uh, but what it really means here is that there's small things that can happen that are not at all part of your lifetime value equation uh, that really can have a big impact on the product. And there's no way you can know about them. If you go, if you look at chaos theory, which was popularized and a big part of mathematics in the uh, you know, late 20th century. Uh, one of the kind of classic examples, and I'm butchering it a little, is, you know, a bird is hit by a car in a street in Beijing, and it leads to a series of a, a cascading effects that causes a hurricane in the Caribbean. Uh, and those are true, you know, there's true examples, not the one I gave, because again, I, I, mix, I, miss, uh, I probably mix metaphors there, uh, but that's how chaos theory unfolds. And you see it even in lifetime value. Someone catches a virus in Wuhan in February and all the brilliant lifetime value calculations that people at Supercell did for Clash back in December are, you know, thrown out the window because 
that virus cascades into a worldwide pandemic, uh, which drives people to stay at home and play more Clash of Clans. Uh, so you do see that you're predicting. Your predictions aren't going to be perfect, which also means that when you're basing decisions, especially monetary decisions, understand it's a prediction with a range of errors. That said, uh, what I've experienced working with some really great data analysts and data scientists is that you can get your lifetime value predictions where they're generally in that 90, 95% accurate range, which is a heck of a lot better than most weather forecasters. Uh, but again, keep in mind, lifetime value is a prediction. It's a forecast. It's not an absolute point value, which means also if you miss it by five cents, when you go back and you look six months, don't fire your analysts. They probably did an incredible job. So going to the core of calculating lifetime value, you start and the most important one is retention. Um, again, I say most important one, and I'm not saying it flippantly. It's not some prejudice on my side that, you know, I grew up living with retention fans or something. Uh, it's the one that really drives your lifetime value. And I'll keep going back to a restaurant example because I love restaurants. Uh, and it's also, but it's really something that everyone can understand. So, you know, think of uh, two different scenarios. One is you have a restaurant down on Broadway in New York. And you just open it up, you serve excellent food, someone comes in, they have a great meal for $20, uh, they come back every month for the rest of the year spending $20 each time, you, you've done a good job. Another scenario, and because you focus on retention, uh, so you have a lifetime value in that case, $240, 12 times 20. Uh, another scenario, restaurant, you serve the exact same meal, charge $20, but then you add to the tip, uh, to the bill, a $3 surcharge for entertainment because you turn Spotify on, another $2 charge for bread. So you got $25 from your customer. So that, that transaction was $25. You're monet you were able to increase monetization by $5 or 25% over what the uh, first scenario was. But the player never comes back. Your, well, not player, your customer never comes back. So that lifetime value is $25. So what you see is by focusing on retention and getting the customer to come back, your lifetime value is $240 instead of $25. Uh, and that's the real impact of retention on lifetime value. It has a multiplicative impact that you can't get from just increasing monetization. And it's why it's at the core of lifetime value. And because lifetime value is at the core of survival of your company, it puts retention at the center to whether or not you succeed. Without a product and without a game that retains well, you're going to fail. And without and if you want a long-term increase in your lifetime value, you focus on retention. What we're going to be talking about with retention in the other uh, uh, areas is, you know, every company, every product is different. And there's different KPIs that you can use in building out your lifetime uh, value mo uh, model. Uh, and with retention, uh, you know, it, it comes down to preferences, but it also comes down to the type of product it is, the type of users you're getting. Uh, and I'm going to go over the kind of uh, key ones. And what I would recommend you do is you create almost a cocktail of retention and monetization KPIs when you build your lifetime value uh, model. So the one that I is pers my personal favorite and I find the most effective uh, KPIs to use when we're looking at retention 
is cur, nur, and rur. Uh, so what they are, not me trying to sound like an animal, uh, but it's current user return rate, new user return rate, and reactivated user return rate. And we're going to go into more detail on all of these in a minute. But what they are, in effect, is what percent of your players, your existing cur would be your current users, what percent of your current users who are already stable, happy users in your game are still coming back? Uh, and that, why it's important is you're not just looking at new users, you're looking at the core of your product and you're understanding whether or not they are engaged enough to stay in the product. Whether or not if you're a television show, after they've watched two episodes, are they still watching the third and fourth episode or have they already uh, changed, uh, you know, moved over to Netflix. After that on here is what's called the DX uh, retention metric. Uh, be day one, day three, day seven. That's probably the one that's most common in the gaming industry. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, what, you know, in a nutshell, what it is is a day one, D1 would be how many players who registered for your game, which is, cons or, uh, just installed the app, that would be considered day zero returned on day one. Day seven is how many who install the app on day zero, return specifically on the seventh day, not the eighth or ninth, but we're there on the seventh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, again, this is common. It's easy to calculate. You can, you, you just track the user from the time they install to, um, you know, your day one, your day three, your day seven, et cetera. Why I prefer the cur neuro-rur metrics is that these are all focused on comparing to the day of install. So it's very biased. Even if you're looking at day 90 or day 180, it's still really biased in your, the early stages of your funnel and how people initially enjoy the product rather than have you created a great experience that people coming, keep coming back to. The third uh, line there is one that I actually find really interesting. It's one I borrowed from the land-based uh, world. Uh, my focus these days is on social casino. And what you see at land-based casinos is they judge their retention by how many days per month a customer comes in. Uh, so, you know, they're doing great if they're getting someone in, say, 13 days a month. Uh, and maybe they're really struggling if it's 0.5 days a month. Uh, it's the same in your app. You can look at how many days a person is playing or how many times per day. Uh, and it's really insightful to see how engaged they are with the product. Churn rate is almost the opposite of cur. It's how many of your users, it could be your new users, it could be your existing users, leave the product each day, each month, each year. Going into my favorite metrics, cur, nur, and rur, here are some more details. I'm going to be putting it on SlideShare uh, later, and I think Jay and Indy are also going to be posting it. So I'm not going to go into too much detail or any of the boring maths here. Uh, but again, cur is and I really want to stress it because it's probably the most underused KPI in the industry and arguably one of the most effective. Uh, but what it says is how many of your current players you're able to retain week on week. And in a nutshell, it's calculated by looking at people who played your game between two and three weeks ago, came back and played between one and two weeks ago. So that defines them as a current user. They played, you know, 
they, they played at least once two weeks in a row. How many of those people came back last week? Again, don't, don't worry about memorizing it. Uh, but effectively, you're establishing that they're a returning user. They played, uh, you know, a couple weeks in a row. And then you, you want to see if they did come back next week. Uh, normally a good number or an average number for that is about 80% uh, of your re recurring users, your current users are going to come back uh, every week. If you're significantly above it, you have a great product that people love. If you're significantly below it, uh, that's where you need to focus and you're probably screwed. Next area is monetization. So I love retention. I always try to focus on it. But monetization is also important. Uh, you know, if people, you know, you can have a great product. If you don't charge anyone anything for it, your lifetime value is still going to be zero. Uh, and monetization is also arguably the easiest of the three buckets to influence. Uh, so you can't, you know, there are lots of techniques to improve monetization. We'll go over a few of them, um, but you can pretty much walk down any street in San Francisco and find 10 product managers who are experts on monetization who could uh, help improve it. Uh, but when you're calculating your lifetime value, again, you want to get a cocktail uh, or smorgasbord of uh, different KPIs to look at the patient. These are among the most common, but there's probably about 20 or 30 that people use. I'll call out a few of them. ARPDAO is, you know, just like day one, day three, day seven. That's probably the most, the one you look at the most in the social gaming space. It's average revenue per daily active users. So if you have a thousand users and you generate a hundred dollars a day, it means your ARPDAO is 10 cents. It's a good way you like to look at it on a daily basis uh, because it takes away some of the uh, fluctuations that you get from big spenders. Uh, and it, again, this is really probably the most common uh, used one in the mobile social gaming space. When you're looking and calculating lifetime value, though, there's three that really jump out in giving you a very accurate picture of your player. So first is recency. How recently has someone made a purchase if you want to calculate their future value, your pr the present value, the lifetime value to them in the future? What's interesting is that most studies have shown the, the person who, say, spent $5 with you yesterday is going to be worth much more than a person who spent $30 with you, say, two weeks ago. Recency is a really good indicator of the future value of a customer. Another one that's very important is frequency of purchases. Someone who's made eight purchases is more uh, at ten dollars each is probably more likely to have a high lifetime value than someone who's made two fifty dollar purchases. And then, not contradictory to frequency, but one that's actually often neglected when you look at lifetime value, but is a big driver, is something called clumpiness. So people who make a batch of purchases, then might wait a little bit of time, make another batch of purchases, are usually more valuable than someone who evenly spreads out their purchases. I don't know exactly the psychology. You can uh, hypothesize what drives it. Um, but the fact is that you're looking for clumpiness. You're looking for people who are going to make a batch of purchases at the same time. Uh, there's a lot of other KPIs that you're going to include in your monetization cocktail. Uh, they're listed here. Uh, but those are the ones that you know, are really the ones that are going to be probably at the, at the core of determining most of your uh, accuracy and your lifetime value. And then virality. So as opposed to monetization and retention, which you know, if they approach zero, means your lifetime value becomes zero. Virality is one that actually a lot of companies assume is zero, and they do not even include in their lifetime value calculation. 
uh, back in the good old days, you know, when Playfish and Playdom and Zynga first got into the social space, these were, virality was actually the most important driver of lifetime value. Uh, it was because, you know, if you remember well, you couldn't go on Facebook without seeing 20 uh, mentions on your feed about how your cow is dying or how your friend invites you into uh, his mob and mafia wars or whatever. And those drove Zynga to a valuation of something like 15 or $17 billion. I remember when it went public, it was about the same size as Facebook, uh, believe it or not. Uh, and that was because of K-Factor because they only had to pay to acquire one or two. Yeah, for every user they acquired, they would put up these Facebook feeds, which would bring in five, 10, 100 users. Again, just like coronavirus, once you get over the R factor, what they call it in, in the virus scene, as any of us who listen to Dr. Forky uh, know, uh, once you get over one, it means the virus keeps growing out of control. It's the same with a game, but a lot better when it happens in your game. The good news about virality is it's much easier to calculate or it's much more straightforward than retention or monetization where you have a lot of options. Uh, K-Factor is driven by two things, number of invites sent by a player and then for the people who receive those invites, the number of them who've actually installed your game app. Uh, and by sending invites, I don't mean actually sending a letter. It could be anything from a text message to email to me walking down to the casino saying, hey, have you guys played Slotomania? Those are all considered invites. Again, the conversion percentage is how many will end up uh, moving over to the product. Indie game business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all those speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. So this was, how do you calculate LTV? Uh, you're probably expecting to write down, okay, this is actually how I figure it out. Unfortunately, I don't have that number. No one has that number. Uh, it's different for every game. Uh, you can find some great tools on the web. I've actually even blogged about it once or twice. Uh, but effectively, it's going to be different for every product. You need to kind of look at the data, get your data scientists to do it, uh, look at historicals, uh, but understand what it is. Is it going to be a function of retention KPIs, monetization KPIs, and possibly virality KPIs? And that's how you calculate it. Okay. So, you now understand what makes up lifetime value. What do you actually do to improve it? Let's say you have a game, your lifetime value is a dollar and your cost per install is a dollar 10. You can just give up or you can find a stupid investor who will give you money to pay for advertising even though that you're paying a dollar 10 to buy a dollar. Uh, or you can actually look at improving it. By understanding what makes up lifetime value, it gives you a much better understanding of how you can move from now $1 LTV to $1.30, 
or a dollar fifty or even two dollars and that those type of jumps are not at all uh impossible i you see them all the time even with established games uh, and but it's you know and it comes down to your specific game you're going to have different th different opportunities different areas uh that are weak uh but i always say start with retention that's why it's all capitalized uh retention is incredibly powerful again that restaurant scenario if you can go from in person to visit your restaurant twice in a year to visiting 10 times in a year that's going to have it's going to increase your ltv five times monetization it's much harder to get a 5x increase so you can increase the size of the bill five or ten percent but that's all it's going to do you're not going to have that order of magnitude change that retention has virality as i said that's great that could actually have a bigger impact than an improvement in retention but it's so hard to achieve these days because there's so few few tools out there uh, that are really you have to have the right product and you have to have the right idea if i knew how to uh, promise you great virality uh, i wouldn't be here i'd be counting all my money uh, retention is there's lots of techniques that you can do to improve retention if you have an awful product you're not going to retain people uh, but there are things you can do with a good product to help retain it better and as i said monetization probably the easiest of the kpis to impact so we're starting with retention uh, just like retention is important the most important thing to keep your players retained, engaged, is content. So you've probably heard people speaking, often disparagingly, about how a lot of games are a content treadmill. All they're doing is putting out new content. Well, that's true, but rather than looking at it disparagingly, look at it as an opportunity and part of your plan. We are in the entertainment business when you create games. We're similar to a, a, a Netflix, we're similar to a television studio, a movie studio. We're pr producing entertainment. And what is entertainment? It's a consumable content. When I watch a movie, I might watch it two or three times. Or again, going back to the Star Wars example, I might watch it 10 or 20 times. Uh, but I'm not going, uh, but it, at some point, you want fresh, you want new. And time and time again, that's what drives the engagement, the retention of your game. So rather than trying to play tricks or convince yourself that you're going to do all these great features, first and foremost, look at quality and quantity of content. And you can't neglect either of them. So quality is important. If you put out garbage, no one's going to want to come back. Look at the you know, the season uh, or the second group of three Star Wars movies didn't exactly do much for getting retention into the franchise. Uh, and the same here, you put out uh, garbage sequels, garbage content, filler content. Uh, people are going to not be interested and they're going to leave. Convert, you put out a great piece of content. If you don't get another piece of content out for a year, they're going to run out of things to do. They're going to leave the game and the chances of getting them re-engaged in a year really, really small. You have to do everything you can to just create a constant stream of good content. Um, I think I've stressed it as much as I can, but I will say it again. This is really gonna be your key to keeping players engaged. Getting them to play more, getting them not to leave your game is continuously giving them, you have to have a good underlying game. That's not what we're talking about here, but you always have to be adding new content 
and you'll be amazed at how quickly they consume it. And if you think you have enough content for a month, double it or triple it, and you're still going to have your top players use it up. The second part of getting your players and keeping your players retained and engaged is getting inside their heads. Um, my first company, a company called Merscom, on our board of advisors with a gentleman named Dan Ariely. Some of you might have heard of him since. Uh, he's gone on to write books like Predictably Irrational. He's arguably kind of the uh, most sought after behavioral economist in the world. Uh, we were lucky as a startup to have him uh, when he had just finished his PhD work. Uh, he didn't know much about the game industry, but he gave me a piece of advice that I've never uh, forgotten and I've always tried to use. Successful products, and this isn't necessarily games, are products that people are thinking about when they're not using them. So a Tesla is a great success story because people who are not necessarily driving their Teslas are still thinking about it, still getting excited about it. Star Wars, again, going back to that, is a great entertainment franchise because even when you're not watching a Star Wars movie, you're using it as an analogy during a presentation or you're thinking about how you would be a Jedi or you're thinking about what the next movie is going to have. You're thinking about these great, great products, great franchises when you're not using it. It needs to be the same with your games. Again, going back to the Zynga example and the heyday of uh, you know, social games, I remember people getting up in the middle of the night to feed their fish in Fishville or uh, clean their restaurant in Restaurant Empire. Uh, that's what, you know, those games were really in their players' heads. Even when they weren't playing about it, they, they were thinking about it. And that's when you know you have a successful product and that's how you improve LTV because that's how you get them re-engaged. That's how you keep them from leaving your product. So content, number one, getting inside your players' heads. There are ways, there are techniques that you do keep your players more engaged. Uh, product features. You know, if you look at uh, retention, and this is why the day one, day seven, uh, day X uh, metrics are so popular, is that it is based on that early user experience is a disproportionate impact. So getting your first time user experience down. So you want to get your people hooked. You don't want to give them a reason to leave early. So getting the Fatui right. Uh, putting in progression mechanics is really critical uh, to retaining players because as you level up, uh, you're less likely to leave because you don't want to lose the progress that you made. Uh, collection mechanics, well proven in social games. You're all game people. I don't have to go into detail. Social features. I've seen a lot of for lack of a better word, really mediocre products that have done well because they include these social features that almost make the products, rather than being a social casino or, or an RPG, uh, they're almost a platform for you to communicate with your friends. And I would actually say that ties into content because that communication becomes user-generated content. It's always fresh, there's always something new, and it's always relevant to your players because they're creating it. So don't uh, underestimate the power of social features to keep people engaged and retained. Uh, marketing, that's not just for acquiring players. It's actually a very strong tool for getting them to stay engaged, to get inside their heads when they're not in the product. It could be anything from CRM, you know, which is customer relationship management, things like push notifications, email, uh, other types of messaging, uh, to paid advertisements to bring people back. 
and then events, which I'll talk about in a minute. But that's actually one of the biggest drivers of retention these days. It's anything from a happy hour for a couple hours in a game that creates excitement, it creates new content, uh, to a three-day challenge where you need to amass the most points possible to climb Mount Everest in your match three game. And then the final one I want to touch on when talking about retention is support. Uh, so people do not stay loyal to a product because they get a great support experience. As much as you want to have this wow story, like a Zappos of someone who spent 10 hours on the phone with a CS agent, uh, it's been proven that there's actually like no correlation between great customer support and retention. Where there is a huge correlation is between bad customer experiences and churn. And if you think about it yourself, Think about the retailers you used to love or the online retailers you went to or the restaurants you used to go to and why you stopped going. It's probably because you had one really bad experience. I know I can think of more bad experiences than more wow experiences and how that impacted me. So what you want to do is you want to avoid giving people their reason to leave your product. And that's what your support needs to do. It needs to make it effortless so they're not even noticed and people just want to stay in. I talked about events, but when you're looking at retention, and I talked about live services at the beginning, really about focusing on the live services, the holistic experience uh, of the product. And this is why, you know, once you've launched your game, this needs to be your focus. And first, a quick definition of live services. So the textbook definition is the changes, content, events in the product that do not require development. So as opposed to a feature like a loyalty system, which requires developers and uh, programmers and product managers, this is something that's created outside the development team and doesn't require development resources. I say textbook because a lot of games uh, even to do things that should not require development resources do. Uh, but it's, so it's a kind of uh, subjective distinction, but I think it kind of shows the type of things that we're talking about with live services and how these can be used to really improve the retention engagement of your players. I'll touch on a few here. Most of them are self-explanatory, but events. Again, this is what's being proven day in, day out for the last few years that have really driven uh, mobile gaming. Uh, you know, creating this one day special event uh, where everyone gets together and tries to you know, get a million spins on a slot machine or move up the most levels, uh, whatever you can call it, the Mount Everest challenge, uh, however you want to do it, or a two hour happy hour every week. These type of events create excitement. Uh, they create, they, they cause the product to feel like it's alive, feel like it's changing as opposed to being static, which is really what customers today want. They want something that's new. They want something that is tied to each day and personalized. And that's what you can do with events. The other thing that doesn't get enough attention is your economy optimization. And I'll go back to the first time I launched the slot game. Um, We launched it. It was a beautiful game. We had done a a really good job, uh, but the KPIs were okay. It was, you know, our LTV was higher than our CPI. So we were not in survival mode, but we were not doing nearly as well as uh, some of the other social casinos. 
And I remember our director of product, rather than focusing on the big features that some of the people on the team wanted to do, things like tournaments and, you know, a new daily bonus and everything, you know, kind of what I would call the sexy, bold beat features that look good in a PowerPoint presentation. What he did was effectively had the product team stop development on features for a month and focus on balancing and optimizing the economy. So again, this is a slots game. So it's everything from the RTP, that's how much uh, the house keeps from every spin on a slot, to the uh, how many chips you got when you made a purchase, how many chips you get when, when you get a daily bonus, uh, how many uh, chips are the minimum bet, your maximum bet. And what, what he, you know, the analysis started to show is that in our effort when we launched the game to optimize monetization, we had what was referred to as a very tight product. People would run out of chips quickly. Uh, you know, I think at the time we thought that was the best way to generate a high ARPDAO and thus a high LTB. What he saw was in the analysis, he also compared it to other products at the time, you know, games like Slotomania, Heart of Vegas, Double Down were leading the industry. They were much looser, but making much more money. So we evolved our economy, and we actually did it in a, in a, a big bang. We changed everything at once so that we were much more generous. And what we found was it moved us from being what I'd refer to as an also ran to being one of the top five, maybe at the time, one of the top three social casinos just by changing the economy, just by getting it into balance where people were getting the right value. And it wasn't, it did impact monetization. We'll talk about that in a second, but it really impacted retention. It really got people coming back more, playing more. And that's how it, 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 it set this uh, product up. So it, it became one of the most you know, as I said, successful social casinos. You know, events, economy optimization. One that I think has been neglected is subscriptions. That is a revenue driver also, but the real value of subscriptions is that with a monthly or a weekly or even a, you know, fortnightly uh, recurring subscription, it's a prompt. It drives people to stay in the product. It helps your retention. It helps your engagement KPIs. Uh, again, everything here, you know, pretty self-explanatory. Jumping over to virality, if you get it right, it's huge. If it get, you get it right, you're creating the coronavirus of games, which is actually a good thing uh, in that you know, you're, you're spreading it really quickly. You don't have to spend as much on marketing and your LTV will skyrocket it because for every player you acquire, they are driving new in installs, which adds to their, which adds to the initial player's lifetime value. Again, you know, Easy to understand virality, it really just has two components. How many people each one of your players will encourage or somehow try to get into the game and how many of those people will actually install the game. Succeeding is a lot more difficult. Ever since uh, Facebook changed rules on their feed, either for privacy or to prevent spam or some people think to drive advertising, uh, generally it's become a lot harder. Just because something's harder, though, doesn't mean it's impossible, which is why I have this slide here, which is why I encourage everyone to explore virality. Uh, you have to look at ways to reduce friction. And it might be you know, ways that people can verbally entice their friends in. It might be uh, group activities that 
encourage them to invite friends to a poker game or something. You also want to make it prestigious uh, for them to invite it. You don't want to be the Tupperware person uh, who's, you know, who is, you're trying to get people to buy something they don't want. You want to make it so that when they go to their friends and try to encourage them to play your RPG or something, they can brag about it. They can say how cool it is. And, you know, it's a prestigious event. Uh, you want it to be emotional. You know, that's why people do things. You want a product that actually connects with people. It's why having a list of features on a, spread, a spreadsheet doesn't create a great product. You need something that connects with people, and that will encourage them to get their friends to play. And allow them to tell stories about it. Stories are the most powerful uh, mechanic we have for spreading information in the world. It's why politicians use it. It's why you see it in marketing. It's why you see it in the news. Uh, people care about stories a lot more. So make your product, make inviting friends storyable. Make it break up into stories. And then on the other side, make it appealing for people to convert. Give them an offer they can't refuse. Give them special value. Give them a reason to convert. Not saying this is easy. You know, I've tried and failed multiple times on virality, but this is a way that not everyone else is trying to improve their LTV that can have a great impact. And then finally, monetization. And you'll see here, actually some of the things that are gonna improve your monetization also will improve your retention and engagement. You know, I said it before, I think I stressed it enough, but content is huge. Uh, content not only drives people coming back to the game, playing more, it drives monetization. On that slot that I talked about that you know, I launched about five or six years ago that really skyrocketed, uh, you know, what we saw was every time we launched new content, revenue would go up 20 or 30%. It would last for two or three days. The best way, the easiest way, just like it is the best, easiest way to sustain retention, to sustain monetization is new content. And what's nice about it, it's not cannibalistic. You're not moving purchases from one day to another. You're actually creating more revenue. Balancing that example I used before by giving people the right value. And it's not necessarily giving them more. So in that example, it was giving them more, but you have to find that right balance hence the word balancing, uh, between giving them more, but also giving them a reason to purchase. Events not only generate excitement and engagement, they're also, if structured well, can be a good uh, monetization tool. Skipping ahead, the other one I really want to highlight because we are running out of time and I don't want Dan to have to interrupt me, uh, is the shopping experience. So when you're creating your virtual store inside your game and when you're packaging your products, think like a retailer. When I worked at Playdom, uh, which at the time was one of the biggest social game companies, along with Zynga and Playfish, uh, we had someone on the monetization team whose only previous experience was at Abercrombie in retail, where he would effectively be a buyer and set up the store displays. And I always thought that was a brilliant hire. Uh, because companies like Walmart and Target, what they do really well is manage the shopping experience so people both enjoy it, but they're driven to get what would be referred to as share of wallet so that so that effectively you spend more in Walmart than you did plan on going in, and you spend more in Walmart than you do at the two or three other shops you stop on on the same trip. And they do it by really understanding the experience. And that's where, again, behavioral economics comes into play. One of the most important things to do is avoid choice overload uh, or cognitive overload, a more technical phrase for it. Really interesting study was done a few years ago uh, where 
it was an A-B test where people in a supermarket were shown two different options. One group of shoppers in the supermarket had their choice of five jams and jellies. The other group, 50 jams or jellies. The first group, the one who only saw five, purchased significantly more jam and jelly than the second group. And what that says was that people don't want unlimited choices. Those five choices that were in the first group were also in the 50 uh, plus products that the other group saw, but they still spent less, even though they could have bought it, which means you don't want, yeah. And I think the tendency in the game space is throw everything at your players, give them a ton of options, give them a ton of virtual goods, they're gonna spend more. That's not the case. You need to manage that experience because what you get is overload where people see so many choices, they just say, Forget it. I'm not buying anything. And they might not say that consciously, but they say, okay, I'm going to come back. There's too many things to consider. Uh, really, you know, the amount's going to be different. I've heard that seven is the ideal number. I think it's going to be different by product where they are in the stage of the game. And there's different things you need to test. But that's one of the takeaways from here that if you want to increase your LTV, back it all the way down into monitoring and avoiding choice load. A couple of really effective other techniques from behavioral economics is anchoring. Let's say you have, again, multiple price points and you'd like more players to spend $50 on virtual currency. Rather than making that the top price point, put in a $1,000 price point. Or if you're an Apple, uh, you don't have that option, but you know, put in the maximum price point, not to drive people to that price point, but it makes the $50 one look a lot less if they also see a $1,000 price point. Decoy effect is similar. Going back to the restaurant analogy, let's move over to a McDonald's. Uh, you might have a, a burger that sells for $1, Big Mac that sells for $2.50. Rather than trying to get people to decide between the $1 burger and the $2.50 burger, you create a Happy Meal where you get a burger, a, a quarter pounder for $2.50, uh, I'm sorry, a quarter pounder plus fries plus a drink for $3. What you end up happening by giving people those three options, rather than comparing the uh, extra value meal with the $1 burger and deciding if they want that, they compare it with the 250 quarter pounder only. It's like, well, 250, $3, a full meal. So what you're doing is you're driving them to the quarter pounder away from the burger, which was your original goal, by not expecting them to spend 250 just on the quarter pounder, but using that as a decoy that drives them to the meal. Again, these are different techniques. Uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of behavioral economics. So a lot you can do with it to really understand your customer's behavior. Uh, with that, I will see. I know we're running low on time, but see if there's any questions or comments. If there aren't, um, you know, love it if you guys check out my blog occasionally. I do write about lifetime value a lot. Also happy if you connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, obviously, the name is Lloyd Melnick. If you do want to connect on LinkedIn, all I is that you please include a, a short message, either that you saw uh, saw me at this conference or just why you want to connect because uh, the negative on LinkedIn is all the spam you get. So I try not to connect with anyone who doesn't include a message. But thank you for your time. I hope you found it useful. And if we have time for questions, I'm open for any. All right. Let me uh, let me pop some questions in here. We do got a couple minutes, uh, but we have two questions. Uh, the first one is from Christopher. How does effective community management assist in LTV? Also, what are your indicators that are actually increasing your lifts, not just artificially 
inflating them? Okay, so I'll start with the first question because that's the easiest. And I'm actually a big fan of community. And everywhere I've been, I've put a lot of resources into it. Uh, it, it. It actually serves two purposes. And it's almost always on the retention side. So I talked about having your players think about the game when they're not in it. That's a great way to do it. Uh, either if it's a Facebook community, they're thinking about it on Facebook, or even if it's a distinct community that they're going to. And what that does is it means that they're able to you know, talk about it. It provides a trigger to go back into the game. It's also a great you know, reactivation tool uh, because, okay, I might have gotten tired of the game but I, I'm not tired of the community. I keep going back to the community and eventually it whets my appetite to go back to the product. So what you see is that, that it does uh, actually drive a lot of retention KPIs, both in preventing churn, but getting more engagement out of already uh, existing users. Uh, Dan, can you repeat the second part of the question, please? Sure, the second part is, what are your indicators that are actually increasing your lifts, not just artificially inflating them? Well, I think when you calculate your LTV, if you're doing it right, it's uh, all the ones I mentioned might be. Uh, you know, I think if, if you're artificially creating them, as soon as you start testing your LTV model, what you're gonna find is it diverges from reality. If you're putting in what I call vanity metrics, uh, and some of the, some of my favorite are like monthly unique users or, you know, things that aren't really driving value. It's not going to touch your LTV. And that's why lifetime value is so important. Uh, when you're actually calculating it, and one thing I didn't talk about is after you've done this, it's not fire and forget. You need to regularly go back and see how accurate your model was. And if you have these vanity metrics in there, which a lot of companies throw out there, especially bigger companies, uh, yeah, because it helps internally, it helps people get promoted. It's something to show at your PowerPoints during lunch. Uh, but those vanity metrics won't impact your lifetime value. And that's actually why I think lifetime value is so important. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of taking the opposite approach rather than looking at what KPIs, uh, first, you know, which retention metrics or which monetization metrics, you want to start with your lifetime value calculation and then back out of that, which metrics you're looking at. Because you should only be looking at metrics that are impacting your lifetime value. If the metric doesn't impact lifetime value, it's not important. So going back to the first question, like with social media, I don't look at likes. I don't look at shares. Because to me, those are vanity metrics. I look when we're assessing it to what they're driving inside the game. And I actually look at how it impacts my cur and my rur. Uh, because, again, those are my pet metrics that I love and I try to use everywhere I am. Hope that answers the question. Uh, feel free to follow up on LinkedIn or uh, however you are on Discord afterwards. Okay, we, we've got one more. If you can answer it in like a minute, we'll see what happens. We'll see okay. what happens. I take All the right. challenge. Here, here we go. Uh, for, oh, let's see, wrong one. Uh, hi, Lloyd. Thank you for such an insightful presentation. My question is, what would you suggest as a first steps to unknown game developers to start marketing games and getting players? I think you need to pick a territory, uh, a cheap territory, uh, but one more, obviously English is spoken and you can monetize a little. I actually always jump for a country like India or Turkey. Uh, obviously Turkey's not English first. And do Facebook ads, make sure you manage your bids. You're gonna have to spend a little, but then you're gonna start getting some real data. And the reason I say it's country, rather than going to the United States or Canada, where you're only able to get a few players, at least 
tier, you can get a decent number of players. So you start seeing if you're retaining them. And then when you're marketing them, I wouldn't get too worried about how much money you're making. I'd really focus on those retention KPIs initially. If they're good, it means you can go out to your friends and family and raise more money and figure out how to monetize them. But really, you know, market it in kind of second or third tier countries with a limited budget uh, and see if you're able to retain your players. That's good stuff. I, I know there's some other questions. And once again, if you want to reach out to Lloyd, he is on LinkedIn and also at LloydMelnick.com. Thanks so much, Lloyd, for joining us. Our, our next Thank session you. is uh, how indie developers can polish their branding with Rachel Presser, the toad lady herself. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.